Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to another amazing episode here on GEMS Podcast. With me in the hot seat is Dr. Doug Lucas. And here's a bit about Dr. Doug, y'all. Um, he has a felt he is a fellowship trained precision health specialist, specializing in metabolic health hormone optimization for both men and women, osteoporosis, and longevity. Dr. Doug aims to address the underlying causes of chronic disease to improve both health span and lifespan. After finishing his training at Stanford University, Dr. Doug began medical practice as an orthopedic surgeon. Passionate about nutrition as well as disease prevention, he quickly became frustrated by the failure of traditional medical model to allow incorporation of these principles into his practice. This encouraged Dr. Doug to join his wife, Dr. Ashley, as the chief science officer for her company, PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition. Since 2015, Dr. Doug has helped PhD coaches and clients sort through the complex field of nutrition research. During this time, he pursued additional fellowship training from the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, also known as A4M, the Academy of Prevention and Innovation Medicine, and Wild Health. His passion is to work with patients looking to optimize their health through a customized approach based on genetic data, extensive evaluation, and in-depth lifestyle examination. Armed with this information, he can partner with his patient to achieve their health dreams. And today we're going to focus on the ethical challenges of a fee-for-service industry. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Doug Lucas to GEMS Podcast. Thank you so much. Really appreciate being here. My pleasure, Dr. Doug. And before we dive into your passion and your subject matter expertise, I definitely want the audience to be able to connect with you a little bit more on a personal level. And I like to do so by giving you two options. The first one is we could break the ice up front or we could play a rapid fire 10 question game. What are you in the mood for? Wow, Um, that's intimidating. Let's break the ice up front. Okay, we're breaking the ice with Dr. Doug and Genesis. So here we go. Here's the question and listen carefully. So I want you to share something crazy that you have done in your life or a fun and interesting fact about yourself. Wow. Uh, Let's go fun and interesting fact. So (laughs) my training, I I could do both, but so my, uh, before my medical training, I was a professional ballet dancer and my undergraduate degree is in fine arts with ballet performance. Seriously? Okay, so what made you select that at first um, before medical school? Because I would have never guessed that. Yeah, there there are not a lot of us in the orthopedic field that have have a ballet background. you know, I, I went to a youth, um, kind of a youth performing art school that had a, a math science magnet in high school. So we had this kind of weird setup where there were a lot of people in fine arts and a lot of people in science. I was clearly in the science side, but all of my friends I noticed were in the fine arts side. 
So as I got into college, I kept gravitating that direction. And then I had an injury to my knee that required some kind of awkward physical therapy. Uh, and at the time I was dating a dancer and she said, oh, well, that's perfect to, you know, you should be doing this in the ballet studio. And so I went in and took my first class and it sort of just spiraled from there. Oh, nice. Thank you for sharing that. That is definitely a fun and interesting fact. So Dr. Doug, we're going to segue into our meat and potatoes of the segment, which is ethical challenges, because I know from just being a patient advocate for my father, especially in the height of the pandemic, there were a lot of people who went through horrendous things in the medical field because you know, the hospital was overpopulated with patients and understaffed with physicians, um, nurses, CNAs, and et cetera. So some people felt like all of the ethics that were supposed to be practiced were not being practiced. And whenever they tried to have a conversation with their physician to see it as a partnership, they just weren't being heard in the way that they felt. So I want you to just explain to us what some of the ethical challenges you see being a physician and as well as, you know, the patient side, because I know even though you're a physician, you're also a patient too, when you go to your own physician. Yeah, absolutely. It's such an important topic and, and an area where I've struggled as a physician. And I know a lot of my peers, um, who, you know, kind of lead from the heart and have, have very strong integrity also struggle because the system is really has progressed and developed over the last several decades into a system that is it's pretty much purely about finances. And, and I say that carefully because we always say, you know, patient first, patient first, patient first. But if you look at the way that the system is set up, it is is driven by the concept of disease care. And I'll talk about that. Um, but ultimately, most systems are set up to generate income, and that comes from the top of the hospital. It comes from, you know, the physician practices that, that need to generate money to stay in practice. I mean, they have to stay open, um, you know, reduced reimbursement by insurance companies and then insurance companies, which ultimately are beholden to their investors and not to the patient. So everything that's been created over the last several decades has, has really driven toward fee-for-service, procedure-driven income. Um, and not about prevention and patient care, sadly. Yeah, absolutely. And I could 100% agree to it because I'll just share a brief story. So when my father walked into the hospital in May of 2020 for his blood sugar levels being elevated, three days later, we found out that my father was paralyzed from the waist down. I asked if he had a stroke. They denied it, but it wasn't until we got to a rehab facility where they told me that my father did have a stroke and it went undetected or they just did not disclose it. So just fast forwarding, you know, other complications came from that. And then they called me one day on the phone, like just alarming me. Hey, you need to come here because your father needs emergency neck surgery. I'm like, neck surgery? Why does he need neck surgery? And then at the time I wasn't thinking because I was just trying to do what's best for my, for my father. And I did not want him to like, you know, suffer or prolong any care or whatever. And then that's when my uncle told me, well, you know, that surgery is like a $40,000 surgery and that wasn't necessarily a need. And I was like, how am I supposed to know? I don't work in the medical field. My background's oil and gas supply chain logistics. And I said, wow. And then whenever you look at certain things, like after the fact, and I got the bill, 
my father's bill went from like over $50,000 to $979 whenever I like literally went through the bill and redlined it and did not agree with some of the things. And I called the billing department and I'm like, it's kind of ironic and funny that you go from 50, 000, over $50,000 to $979. And I told him, I'm not paying this because the treatment that he got was not suitable. And I even had to go up against the, the board of Texas. I went to Keepro. And then all of a sudden that bill became $0. And I tell people, if you don't know how to advocate for yourself, if you don't ask questions and different stuff, you're going to feel forced to take certain medications because big pharma is pushing those drugs on physicians. Physicians obviously have to, you know, give the samples or offload those to the patient. Then you'll get side effects. Then you're popping another pill. So it's like you're a walking pill popping zombie when there could be other natural remedies and modalities that can help you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry you went through that and I'm, you know, sorry for your loss. That's always challenging, especially when it comes with so much, you know, there's so much uncertainty. Why did it happen? How did it happen? Could, could you have done anything to prevent it? And it's such a struggle as our, our healthcare system gets more and more complex. Um, it's, it's hard, even as a physician, we're getting so subspecialized, you know, for me to even know what's going on, you know, in the ICU or for me to know what's going on on the inpatient side of a hospital when I'm almost exclusively outpatient. Um, so as a patient, I think it's really impossible to, to to be able to understand, you know, what what care is really needed. The whole concept of informed consent, you know, that a physician can tell you in 30 seconds or less all the risks and benefits of of you know this neck surgery that your dad supposedly needed, you know, it's 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 very challenging from a physician perspective to even try to have that conversation. And and let me just be clear too, the majority of physicians and nurses and everybody in the hospital, they are generally there because they're great people and they want to help people. It's the system and the way that the system is developed that puts us in these very, very awkward positions um, to have to make these very challenging ethical decisions around, you know, do we do surgery? Do we not? Um, can I talk to somebody about lifestyle in the, you know, the three minutes that I have to talk to them versus, you know, they will actually get better if I just prescribe them a medication, maybe, but there's possible risks. It, it, it's a very, very challenging situation to get in. And that's why I, I made this split from the traditional healthcare model to be able to spend time with people and to help explain these things. So Dr. Doug, whenever you were getting ready to make that split, to really go over into the holistic, the natural, and maybe, I don't know if you would say integrative medicine, do you practice any of that? Yeah, you know, I struggled really, I really struggled to find the right word for what I wanted to do because I wanted to go into a space where I could spend more time with patients, where I could order the tests that I thought were appropriate. And that's, you know, blood tests that are, you know, could traditionally be ordered, but insurance may not pay for, but also functional tests, you know, things like gut testing, things like DNA, genetics, the things that we, we never know if insurance is going to pay for it until you order it. And then if they don't pay for it, it costs patients an arm and a leg uh, because they're paying insurance rates rather than cash rates. And, and so, yes, integrative is a word that, that works because I'm certainly integrated between functional and traditional and all kinds of things. Um, but it's not just functional medicine. You know, it's not just um, precision medicine, which is genetics. It's I, I call it health optimization because I, I, I can't find a better word. Um, but yeah, but it's but it's tough. And that makes it very tough for, then for patients to find where to go. You know, what do you what do you even search? What are the Google terms? I don't know. 
Yeah. So what was the catalyst like that you experienced personally that led you to make this transition professionally? Because there had to be a specific moment where you just said, you know what, I'm just done with this and I'm ready to just follow my intuition and my gut instinct and really do what I want because I know it's going to help with that patient's longevity and their overall quality of life. Yeah, there is actually one patient um, very clearly that I remember that was a a turning point for me. So this uh, was a patient, this gentleman, um, a a diabetic patient uh, that was struggling with bad blood sugar. Sounds like you're familiar with that story. Um, And when I was in training, I was kind of taught that if if these patients, these patients, you know, if they would just follow instructions, then their blood sugar would be controlled. That's how I was trained. And that's what the medical doctors said, you know, if they just take the insulin and the oral drugs and they eat the way they're supposed to, their blood sugar will be controlled. So when I saw patients that had out of control blood sugar, and as a surgeon, I'm doing things like amputations and, you know, nasty stuff that we don't want to talk about. um, I always just had this thought like, gosh, these patients are just not taking care of themselves. This guy was one of the one of the patients and ended up being of many. Um, but I, after talking to him quite a bit after amputating his leg, I talked to him quite a bit and he was following all the instructions. He was taking all the medications. He was on the insulin. And, and when I when I, I realized that, you know, gosh, these patients are actually a lot of them are being compliant. It, maybe it's not them. You know, maybe it's the recommendations. And then working with my wife and the nutrition side and realizing that, you know, diabetes in particular is a great example where it's really shouldn't be considered a medical problem. It's a nutrition problem. And if it's approached from a nutrition perspective, it can not only get better, it can go completely into remission. And so now I I have this opportunity to tell people that. And I remember very clearly working on this gentleman. Uh, We ended up having to amputate his leg. It was like three o'clock in the morning because he was sick and you know, he was, he was very, very large and very, very difficult to operate on people that are that are that are really big. Um, and, at, you know, three o'clock in the morning, I'm, I'm struggling to get this procedure done. Um, you know, I don't have all the help that I could possibly have because it's three o'clock in the morning. Um, and I remember, you know, t- doing this case and talking to this guy and just thinking I'm on the wrong side of this thing. I, I really my my talent is in having this discussion with the patient after surgery, sitting down with him, talking about nutrition you know, rather than being in the operating room and struggling to, to save his life, which is valuable. Um, but, but yeah, that was really a turning point for me where I said, I, I got to, I got to do what I need to do to make this shift. And then with your wife focusing on the nutrition side, like how would some of those conversations look when you came home from work? Because she's focusing on the nutrition side, you're focusing on the surgical side, but then if you two would have just came together and really talk about it, do you think that you would have made that jump earlier, earlier rather than later? Yeah. I mean, when, when she first told me that she was initially, we said reversing diabetes, which I think isn't the right word, but when we first started to talk about reversing diabetes, um, I told her, I, I said, you're wrong. Like, that, that doesn't happen. You know, I'm trained. I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm trained in this. I know that you can't reverse diabetes. That's the, that's the ego. And, um, and then she showed me, you know, over and over and over again, these patients that were, they're letting go of their, all their oral medications, they're stopping, you know, the insulin needs are decreasing and then gone. Blood pressure medications gone. I mean, all this stuff happening, boom, boom, boom. And I'm just thinking, wow, like, Okay, so maybe these patients, you know, can heal. And then if they do, then they don't need my services, you know, from a diabetic perspective, at least. Um, And that's really motivating. Uh, But yet most people don't go down that pathway. 
Um, and a lot of people don't know that it exists. It's one of my, uh, one of the topics I love talking about because there are so many diabetic, pre-diabetic people. And I mean, it's actually statistically people that don't have pre-diabetes or diabetes are in the minority in our country as an adult. Absolutely. And I would say like, this is where genetic testing will come in, come into play, because if you know that your mother, your father, or someone in their lineage suffered with diabetes, if they start doing preventative measures and testing you ahead of time, before you get to the stage where you're classified as pre-diabetic or you have diabetes, then we could look at ways to mitigate it just so you could have the, um, the health optimization that you now focus on, but sometimes people right. don't even ask those questions. And another thing, um, I recently, I'm a big supporter for lupus um, since I lost my little cousin to that at the age of 20. And they don't always do certain blood types un unless you present certain symptoms. And with lupus, it's very hard to detect. Sometimes people get misdiagnosed. They think that it's fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis or other forms until later on you get to a certain stage where that stage, it's hard to mitigate that because you have already been having certain symptoms over time. Your hormones are out of balance. Your blood levels are uncontrollable. Then they're putting you on these steroids and all these other medications to try to help you just cope with it. And I know one of the things you specialize on, Dr. Doug, is the hyper-specialization of the medical industry as a whole and how it prevents global patient consideration and likely mismanagement, which is what led you into that world of optimization. Like, let's optimize everything. Let's look at everything from a holistic thing. And I think nowadays everything is so specialized and people who are going through certain things, they don't just have one doctor. You have a nephrologist, you have a cardiologist, you have a rheumatoid doctor, you have a nutritionist, you have so many different things and it's so much different information. But if there was like a one-stop shop where everyone would kind of intersect and talk to each other to find out what is the best plan based on your blood type, your physical activity, uh, your genetics and all of that. I think that would be the best way for that um, individual. But obviously I didn't go to medical school. I went to, <laughs> so. Right, but, but you're right on, you're right on, you know, and, and it's so tough because the, the reality is that we, we do need all those people, you know, like I'm, I am not a nephrologist and I would never pretend to be one and I'm not as smart as one. And I don't know the kidney like a nephrologist knows the kidney. Um, you know, same thing, like we need, we need heart surgeons, we need, you know, pulmonary docs, we need ICU, docs. we need all of these subspecialists and, and we need them to love what they do, I think is a really important thing. Um, but we also need to set them up for success so that they're not just trying to manage this, you know, metabolic train wreck from a single specialty. And that's what happens so often is that if you're not in a good system, and most systems aren't good systems, if you're not in a good system that has good communication between specialists, it's really, really tough because the whoever you're visiting kind of has to manage all of it and they're not trained in it. They don't know how to do it. And so our system has really evolved into that because what used to be the, the, the catch all was the primary care doc, right? The primary care doc used to have enough information about everything so that they could sort of help people navigate the system. That's really kind of gone away because the primary care visits, especially on an insurance model, they're so short that they can't spend the time to figure out what's going on. They can't, you know, they have, they literally have either seven minutes, potentially five minutes, maybe even less to open the chart, which is usually slow, these cumbrous, you know, electronic medical records. Uh, they're, they're very slow to get into, figure out what's going on, 
go in and talk to the patient, actually touch them, do an exam, have a conversation, and then document again in this like cumbersome, onerous chart um, that takes, I mean, it can take seven minutes just to document on a patient, you know, and you only have five minutes to see the patient. So to expect that a primary care doc is going to be able to help you navigate the system, I think is, is lost. I don't think it can happen anymore. That's not their fault. Um, it's the way that the system has sort of become this just massive cumbersome thing. And we need a different perspective because there's no way that a primary care doc is going to be able to look at genetics. They're not trained in it. They're not going to be able to talk to you about hormone balance. They're not trained in it. They don't really know much about nutrition for the vast majority of them. Um, even though they think that they probably do because they were, they had a class in medical school. Um, and I'll get in trouble for saying that, but that's okay. Um, you know, they just like, they don't have the background that they need to be able to help people get that baseline information. And that's what I love about what I do now is if any, if everybody could just go through this process of looking at your genetics, understanding what you're susceptible to getting a, a really comprehensive set of labs so that you can say like, gosh, actually you are on the spectrum of metabolic disease. You're not pre-diabetic yet, but you're going to be right. And, and we need to, we need to make some changes now because it's a whole lot easier to change that when you're not diabetic than when you're diabetic. And sometimes the first thing that people with diabetics will get diagnosed because they've already had some problems, their kidneys are failing or their eyes are failing. You know, and when you're already there, it's the wrong time to get that diagnosis. So then question, uh, Dr. Doug, whenever a patient transitions into your type of practice, what are the first things that you go over with that patient and what does that look like? Sorry, I had to cough there. Um, you know, the first thing I do is I, I meet with all my patients before they start with me. So I sit down and um, talk about what their interests are, what are their concerns, uh, what are their goals, and decide if they're even ready to, to, to take the, the step with me. Because the primary basis of our interventions, and, and I'll explain what I mean by that, but the primary basis of these interventions is, is lifestyle based. You know, so if you have terrible sleep, if you have a terrible diet, if you're not doing any exercise and you're stressed out the gourd and you don't have any ways to mitigate that, there's nothing I can do for you if you're not willing to change those things. So I, I talk to everybody first to say, look, we're going to we're going to hit all these things and we're going to have to, you know, affect the way that you sleep. You might have to not watch so much Netflix at night. You might have to change the way that you eat, you know, and, and that's that's really important for people to understand because optimization of health requires lifestyle first. Um, and that's where I think a lot of physicians sort of lose faith in their patients because over and over again, they're stuck in the situation where, A, they don't have time to talk about it and they may not have the, the training to talk about it, but the patients aren't really there for that. And that's where I really struggled as a surgeon because I would start talking nutrition to my diabetic patients in the orthopedic office and they're looking at me like, who, what, who are you? Like, don't, don't talk to me about nutrition, just fix my foot. Um, and, and that was very frustrating for me because I felt like I have, I have an answer for you that would potentially take this terrible problem that you have and make it go away, but you're not interested in that. And, and that's where a lot of physicians, they really do lose, um, they lose the desire to talk about the lifestyle stuff because a lot of times people aren't interested in it. So long, long story to say, the first thing I do is chat with them about this, what's this going to take? And then we, you know, if they're interested in that, then we move forward and get all the labs and we get all the, all the data that we can and really discuss the details about those lifestyle things so that we can then create that intervention moving forward. 
I like that you start with talking to them as a way of a consultation, just to see really where their mind frame is, because it starts with the mindset. And then once your mindset is set up for it, then you're going to be susceptible to taking those actions. And that actions is going to lead you a fruitful result result but the most important thing is that you're there for them but they also need to be there for themselves and you do it together as a collaboration and a partnership to really see those synergies because everything that you said is just so vital because if you're not willing to change um your lifestyle as a whole like you don't want to eat right you don't want to exercise you don't want to take the proper amount of water or use herbal remedies supplementations or etc then what is the point like I could just set you up for a for a surgery right now we could go at it or do you want to prolong your life and be there for your family and just have that quality that you desire and I think sometimes you have to be like blunt and honest brutally honest with the people even though it's going to hurt them just so they could wake up and smell the coffee because I can't tell you like whenever I did a small stent at the cancer center, I'm like, okay, you're here so you could get treatment so you could be better. But if you don't want to be here, then just stay at home. But then yeah. I quickly realized at a young age, you can't <laughs> talk to people a certain way. <laughs> and so that's yeah. why I lasted as long as I did in oil and gas, because it's very male dominated and very direct to the source when you're working on million dollar projects a day. So right. Right. Uh, I just love the approach that you're doing. And so you're doing it in partnership now with your wife, Dr. Ashley. So um, what are some of the amazing success stories that you've seen since um, partnering together? Gosh, you know, we so we actually run, we I would say we partner together, but we run, in, they're independent entities. And so the, the people that are working, most people that work with her don't actually end up working with me. My my concept as I started this practice was that I would support those that needed it. Um, and as it turns out, there are a lot less people that need it than I thought, which is fine. Um, it was still the, the impetus for me getting this thing started. So most of my patients actually come from other sources now than, than working with her company. Um, but there are people that I find, and this is, this is really kind of why I, I did it. The people that have worked with her and have lost particularly big amounts of weight, you know, people that have big journeys, uh, you know, 30, 40 pounds, you know, up to, you know, hundred, 200 or more they always come out on the other end of it with some kind of metabolic derangement, you know, whether it be, you know, hormones in their gut, you know, sex hormones, thyroid, adrenal, like that is such a stressful thing on the body to go through that and absolutely critical and important and will improve your health span and lifespan. But it's really important to work with somebody after that who can take a look at all the labs and say, gosh, yeah, you need, you know, some support here or there because their primary care team isn't going to understand that. They're, they're going to look at the labs and say, well, they're so much better than they were. You're good to go. But that sets them up then for that weight regain that we hear so many times when you see these stories of people that, you know, they go on this like hundred pound journey and then they gain it all back. Um, part of it has to do with how you lose it. And that's where my wife is a genius. But the other part of it is what happens on the other side. Uh, you know, if you have thyroid dysfunction and it's very dysfunctional and you feel, you know, terrible and you have no energy, uh, you are not going to be able to move around. You're probably not going to make the best food choices and you're going to be at higher risk of putting your weight back on. So yeah. that, you know, we have, we've had, I have some patients that have gone through that and, um, and we're able to catch those things and turn them around so that they can then participate in the maintenance program and then be successful. So that's why I did it. Um, I just have less of those patients than I thought I would. <laughs> this is awesome. And so much knowledge that you've shared. Is there anything else you want to share that I may not have asked before we jump into the call to action, Dr. Doug? 
Yeah, I think the one thing I would like to emphasize with your, your listeners is you really do have to be an advocate for yourself. Like, like you said, um, you know, our system is not designed with the patient in mind for the most part. And you have to always go into it with that perspective to say, okay, I have a, a problem. Um, I'm seeing this professional who I think has the right training. Um, they've told me this thing, but then take that thing and, and educate yourself. Dr. Google is maybe not the best resource, but it is an abundant resource and it does have a lot of information. And, you know, some doctors don't like it when their patients come in with things printed out from the internet or whatever. I, I totally support it and it takes more time and I get that, but you know, let's work through these things so that you're comfortable because if you're not comfortable with the treatment plan, you're not going to do it. Um, and always get a second opinion. Uh, and again, this burdens the system and, you know, people hate me for saying this, but if you are going to a surgeon and they recommend a surgery, get a second opinion because remember that surgeons get paid to operate. And, 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 I, and I'm not saying this that to say that all surgeons are operating out of, you know, out of greed and that they're doing unnecessary surgery, but there is a certain amount of humanness in all people. And if, if you are a surgeon, as I, you know, am and, and was professionally, if all you have is a hammer, all you see is a nail. And I hate that cliche, but it's true. <laughs> Amazing. And thank you for sharing that. And let's jump into our call to action, Dr. Doug. What do you want the audience to gravitate to? And then afterwards, I want you to plug your website and where they could primarily connect with you on social media platforms. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, uh, the best way to reach out to us is uh, either through our website or our email. Um, our email is hello at OHHMD, like the credentials, medicaldoctor.com. Um, our website is optimalhumanhealth.com. And um, that's where you can read our, our blogs. Uh, we're putting out weekly content about health optimization. We've been on a gut streak lately, um, which isn't, isn't sexy, but a lot of people have that problem. So we felt like we needed to get it out there. Um, on social, I'm most active on Instagram. Instagram, um, and we post all those things on Facebook. And for me, it's Dr. Underscore Doug Lucas. And uh, the practice is optimal underscore human underscore health. And so we different content for different uh, for each one of those. And then Dr. Doug, is there a specific call to action that you want to challenge the audience to gravitate to besides being a advocate for themselves and really taking their health um, their health and control because you only have one body and your body is your temple. So why not pay attention to when your body is speaking to you? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, you know, I think that the, the biggest thing that people can do is to take a, a quick look at their sleep. Um, it's something that I see universally across the board. Um, I'd say 99% of the people that come into my practice, the first thing we do is say, Hmm, we should probably improve your sleep. Um, and just remember that as humans, you know, we require eight to nine hours of actual sleep, which means potentially nine to 10 hours in bed. Um, and if you don't have good quality sleep, it could potentially be longer than that. And if you think that you're doing great with less than that, you're fooling yourself because there are some genetic variants that can help people to have shorter sleep needs, but we're talking shorter by a few minutes, not by an hour, definitely not by two hours. So yeah, that's the number one thing. Cause you will solve a lot of problems if you just fix the sleep. Ouch, that that pricked me, y'all. I need to work better, <laughs> work on my sleep, but it's hard to sleep when you're almost in your third trimester. So thank you so much, Dr. Doug, for just coming on and sharing your wisdom, knowledge, and insight with the community. 
audience, all of Dr. Doug's contact information will be in the show notes. Make sure you scroll down and connect with him and go take our challenge because we want you to live life optimally and make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. We're on 40 plus platforms. You could also see the video component to this by heading on over to YouTube and typing at gems with genesis amars kemp and lastly but not least i want to thank each one of you for supporting the mission of gems which is to bring you educational inspirational and motivational topics on a daily basis which brings me to saying thank you thank you thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting the guests that i bring on as well as myself because of you we're now ranked in the top two and a half percent globally out of 2.8 million podcasts and i wouldn't have been able to do it without my supporters so until next time peace love and lots of blessings you could also head on over to genesismarscamp.net to find out more info Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcasts.